Also in the room out there, uh, just uh, if you were to walk through this wall and walk through the next wall, there uh, you can meet our uh, group leaders. You can uh, check out the curriculum, ask questions after service. So it's going to be good. Hey, we had a real milestone last week. As you guys know, since 2016, we have been going after uh, a human trafficking project called the Normandy Project. And so we've been pursuing it, getting the building, getting turned down, finally getting the building, uh, rehabbing the building, COVID, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, last week was the ribbon cutting ceremony. So I believe we're going to have a couple of pictures of that. And so, yes, yeah, so, so good. And so um, Cheryl, our uh, director right there in the middle of the Turning Point Home inside of that, she actually interviewed her first woman for the, uh, for the Turning Point Home inside that project. So super exciting. So thank you guys for your giving, your prayers, all your support. And so um, now we're, uh, we need, uh, I think it's $14,000 a month for the, uh, for the yearly budget. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, about that. And um, so, yeah, so thank you for continued support and giving. Man, this is really going to change lives. So, so good. Woo! Yeah, yay God. This is big. So, uh, Cheryl, why don't you come on up here? This is a big deal. Why don't you come on up here and just maybe talk about... <laughs> Cheryl gave me a glare that was not filled with the Holy Spirit. I just want to let you know that. So I don't know if you want to maybe just, whatever you want to say, but maybe just talk about that woman's reaction uh, to, the, to the building and to the rooms. I just thought that was really powerful. So the Normandy Project has been done with such excellence. It's been decorated to the max. I mean, Denise Diani like, did all of our interior decorating yeah, with so the good. help of one of her friends. And it's just amazing when you walk in there. And see, we're used to seeing it because it's been years, <laughs> year in and year out. But the young lady that I interviewed the other day, she is actually a survivor and she's been uh, clean for two years and she's been in a program for 15 months. So she was so incredibly excited when she came in and we did just a real informal type interview. And then I took her on a tour and she was like totally blown away. And I've heard that from even like all of the reporters that have come in and did interviews and that kind of thing. They all said the same thing, that it was just done with excellence and it was so beautiful. So for her, she walked in one of the rooms and I said, we weren't going to make this a bedroom. We were just going to have it as a sitting room because it's kind of small. But then we realized that after they did the drywall and everything, we could actually use it for one of the bedrooms. And she goes, oh, you don't understand. She said, this would be a room where we would have three or four women in twin beds and like hardly any place to walk. So as she went through the whole building or the whole home, she was just so excited. And it just... Because each woman's going to have their own room. Yes, because so each yeah. room is going to have... Each person is going to have their own room. And there's four rooms that have their own bathrooms. And she couldn't believe that either. Or just, you know, we have a movie room um, for a connection point. Um, we have a gym. I mean, it's just so well done. So, number one, thank you for all of you that have given into this because it wouldn't have happened without you for sure. And we're just really grateful and thankful to see everything that God has done there. And these women are going to be totally blessed. So thank you. Don't want to tell what she walked out. And... Oh, yeah. So she walked out. She was with a friend of mine. And so when she walked out, she literally was just like, oh, my gosh. Because she was trying to contain it with, when she was with me. But she said she literally screeched. <laughs> so she was really, really excited. 
So, yeah, yay, God. Thank you, Cheryl. Hey, Matt, can we, let's do the testimony next week. Let's just do it next week, all right? Awesome. All right. Thank you. All right. You guys ready to have some fun? All right. We have been in a series called The Gospel of Grace going through Galatians. And last week we saw that even though you have been completely forgiven of sin, you are under grace, you are not under law, God is no longer dealing with you based on your performance. He's dealing with you based on Jesus' performance. Amidst all of that being true, sin is still stupid. Sin is still a bad idea. All right? So God is not counting your sin against you, but sin is still stupid. We looked at that whole thing. We looked at how there's a struggle between the flesh versus the spirit. The flesh is the part of you that has old habits and leftovers that's being redeemed to learn how to live out of God's power. The flesh is that part of any part of you that is not living under the Holy Spirit's power. And so uh, today I want to do a follow-up message, um, but it's actually not from the book of Galatians. I didn't plan on doing this, but I felt like I told you how stupid sin was, but then I never really told you how to overcome sin. So um, I figured it'd be a nice thing to tell you how to overcome sin. We're going to look at how to overcome temptation. Does that sound like a good idea? Figure it out on your own. No, no, we'll do it today. All right, well, so, so we're going to look at temptation. And most people think if they can just avoid temptation, then sin would be avoided, right? If I could just, just not have temptation come into my life. But listen, guys, when God created the Garden of Eden, he put a forbidden tree right in the middle of the garden. Like The, the idea behind not sinning is to not avoid temptation. Temptation is we're going to have to reframe our idea of it. So look at Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. This is the temptation account of Jesus. Actually, Jesus has just been, uh, um, oh, no, we haven't done this. Okay, this is the baptism account of Jesus. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized as he was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Don't you want to see the Blu-ray of that, like the 3D version of that, just all the heavens opening up, the Holy Spirit, God declaring over him? Here's the very next verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. So this has just happened, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to, to, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. I mean, talk about a buzzkill. I mean, he has this incredible experience with the Holy Spirit, the Father speaking over him, this amazing baptism, and it's God, the Spirit of God who led them, him to be tempted. That doesn't even sound Christian, does it? The, the Holy Spirit. Why would he do it? The Holy Spirit's leading him into a conflict. Why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the desert to be tempted? Uh, we got a video. That hope, uh, is this not a table tennis video? This is a video. To help us uh, get, get, get a picture of this. We need sound. It's better with sound. Picture sad music playing right now. This is kind of somber music. It's much better with sound. <laughs> What's going to happen, little, little, little mouse? What's oh, there's a loud snap noise. Now, like, sad music playing. Really, like, funeral-level music playing. He's just laying there. It, just doesn't, it doesn't look good for him, does it? But he's been eating this strong cheese. That's the commercials about how strong the cheese. And all of a sudden, uh, the Eye of the Tiger song is getting ready to queue up. Here it goes. Come on. Bomp, 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 bomp. Bom, bom, bom. Bom, bom, bom. Bom, chicka, chicka, bom, bom, bom. Bom, bom, bom. Bom, bom, bom. Now let's add some crunches. Bom, chicka, chicka, bom, bom, bom. Bom, bom, bom. I guess we didn't need the sound.
You guys did that to me on purpose, didn't you? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we love you. Here's one of the main points I want to bring out. Temptation is the gymnasium in which we acquire spiritual strength. See, Satan's purpose for temptation is to put you in a trap and snare you and kill you. God actually works out a purpose in there to build strength so you can see the life of Christ flow through you. Oh, this is going to be so good today. Temptation is God's chosen method to reveal Christ again and again and again in our lives. See, the reason the Holy Spirit uh, led, the, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted was Jesus couldn't go into all he had and who he was going to be in the Gospels until he has been tempted. Remember, what did God tell him? You are my beloved son. What did God want him to do? He wanted him to know by experience his identity as the beloved son. Because it's one thing to have a truth in, you know, we're overcomers. It's one thing to have a, a truth by theory. It's another thing to have it by experience. Now we're beginning to take territory with that truth. It says in the book of Judges that God deliberately left a lot of the uglies in the land of Canaan. Remember the Amorites, the Termites, the Cellulites, the Perizzites, all those ites. Remember all those? Why? Why did he leave all those people? Because there was a generation who hadn't seen God's power by experience that needed to see Israel rout those enemies through the power of God. Sometimes I feel like saying, God, I've already read the history books. I don't need a lesson. I'm fine with that, right? Like, like, like I, I read the Bible. I, I don't need these things by experience. But God says, listen, Jim, and here's what he's saying to you. You need it. You need to face the enemy so you can discover my power for yourself. Listen, temptation is not a horrible negative. It's a wonderful positive that God uses to display the life of Christ in us. There is a plan and a purpose behind temptation. You're going to grow in temptation. You're going to find out who you really are in temptation. I'm doing this sermon without my glasses, by the way. So if I'm mispronouncing words, help us, Lord. All right. Um, when temptation comes, you can shake its hand and say, Hello, temptation. You may not realize this, but you've come to make me stronger in God. And when I'm finished with you, I'll be stronger in God than I ever have before. Temptation is how you turn a mousetrap into an exercise machine. I want you to imagine someone gave you a super suit. And it protected you from any harm. It helped you in any situation. How would you know the strength of that suit? Well, would you just take someone's word for it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'd start there. But when someone pointed a gun at you and fired it and the bullet bounced off you and tickled, boy, you begin to know the strength of that suit. Someone fires a missile into your back and it doesn't even do anything. Now you're understanding the strength of that suit. You go to White Castles and eat a couple of hamburgers and you don't spend the night in the hospital. You know the strength of that super suit. The only time God will lead you into a conflict is when he has already prepared you to win. The only time he leads you into a storm is because he's already given you grace to bring an end to the storm. This is one of the promises of the Bible. God will not lead you into temptation that he has not already equipped you to win. It says 1 Corinthians 10.31. Conflicts are never allowed to humiliate, discourage, or to distract. They are only permitted when you've been equipped to win. Somebody hearing this. Listen to James chapter 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, uh, the word there is trouble is trials. It can also be translated as temptation. It's all the same word in the original Greek. When trials, temptations uh, come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What? Why on earth would we consider a great opportunity for great joy? For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, 
Lacking in nothing is what one translation says, leading, uh, needing nothing. Okay? The word trial, temptation, trouble, tribulations, they have the same original word. And it's summed up in the word test. Here's what the word test means. It means to discover what's in a person. When they make certain parts of an airplane, one of the things they do is they put it in a high-pressure tunnel and, uh, and run one through it. And what they're doing is they're looking for bends. And if there's bends in it, it means it's not ready. They don't go, oh, scrap this whole thing. We don't need this. No, no. When it has bends in it, it just allows them, oh, it just needs a little bit more time to be developed. When there's a temptation coming in your life, it allows things to come to the surface where you can go, wow, there's areas of, of my life that God has not yet uh, been able to work through. It doesn't mean, oh, you're horrible, you're useless. No, no, no. It just means you need a little bit more time. God's revealing it until you can be useful. How are we doing? So how do we handle temptation? Look at uh, a couple of verses later. James chapter 1, verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. I want you to notice that sinful actions didn't start. Uh, it, it wasn't sinful to have sinful desires. It was when they turned into actions, it became sinful. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Strong desire to do wrong is not sin. This is going to set somebody free if you listen to it. Strong desire to sin is not sin. It is what we do with that strong desire that determines whether or not we will sin. Martin Luther, the uh, great reformer of the 1500s, uh, he said this, you can't stop birds from flying around your hair, but you can stop them from building a nest in your head. You can't stop temptation from coming your way, but you can stop it from turning into sin. When someone says something uh, that's unkind or unfair or just plain evil, it's not sinful for you to have an emotional reaction that says, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> All right, I, I, it's, not, it's not wrong for you to have a reaction that says, I don't like being treated this way. Right, um, But when you begin to pitch a tent there and rehearse the offense, begin to tell other people about the offense, that desire has conceived and given birth to sin. But it's not sinful to have a, wrong, to have a strong reaction to someone doing negative to you. How are we doing? Let's say you're stuck in traffic. Or maybe the road in front of the church you go to is being, uh, has a lot of construction. And you're running late for church, and now you're going to be even more late for church because you've got to take an alternative route. It's not wrong to be a little bit peeved that it's going to take until the third week of October to finish it. <laughs> and say, where are my government tax dollars going? It's not wrong to have that kind of reaction to it. But if you begin to preach messages about it, no, no, let's just say I go with that. Let's, let's change subject. I had a person a while back, literally every single week, uh, they would sit there and take notes on my sermons and send me an email of everything that was wrong with my sermon. Literally, every single week. And so I was trying to like, do it with a pure heart. I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, perhaps there's things in there. I'm realizing you're, they're not hearing anything I'm saying. I don't even think they're reading the Bible. Like, I don't even know what's happening. You know, it's not wrong to have that spirit of slap want to come on you. Like, just stop it, you know? It's not wrong to want to defend yourself, okay? But if you begin to give in to that and rehearse it and preach sermons about it. Then it becomes bad, okay. If you had an addiction in your body with alcohol or drugs before coming to Christ, it would not be unusual for your body to have flashbacks and to send you messages of this is how you get relief to want you to go back to that old lifestyle. It's not wrong to have those, those desires, okay, those temptations. I believe God can heal you of that so he can actually change your desires, by the way. Because when the sun sets you free, you're actually free, Okay. So if you've been struggling with the sin, I don't want you to picture the rest of your life's going to be a struggle with sin. You can get victory over this, but I'm telling you how you're going to get victory over it. We, we haven't got to the how-to yet. I'm setting, I'm setting it up here, okay? 
But I want you to, first of all, get this point. Hopefully, it'll set some people free. It's not a sin to be tempted. Okay, can everybody get that point? That's a powerful point. Hebrews 4.15, this is speaking of Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus felt was tempted in the ways that we're tempted, yet he did it without sin. So can you guys see, it's not sin to be tempted. So many Christians, they get crushed here. If I was really dead to Christ, how could I be tempted with these things all over again? Listen, your old man is dead. That sinful nature that you had died, was buried with Christ. You've been raised to a newness of life. But what happens is you have flesh. You have old ways of reacting, your body, your will, your emotions. It has ways and habits of reacting that are apart from Christ. They're in the process of being renewed. And so when we, uh, what we're learning to do with this temptation makes them beautiful containers to release Jesus, or when we don't uh, include God in it, they become those sinful desires give birth to sin. I remember um, years ago we took the kids to the zoo, and I've always been fascinated by the snake displays. I don't know, just I'm not, I'm not a snake guy. I, I think they're gross. I don't even like worms. And so they, uh, it's, but there was a snake there, and it, I've ever seen a snake when it's shedding its old skin. I mean, uh, and so it was in the process, and so like half the skin was off, and it had the new skin underneath, and there was like this rock in the in the little glass cage thing, and and, it's, and the snake was uh, working its way. It's like almost like it had an itch. And it was like working its way and using that rock to kind of help, uh, help bring out the new and get rid of the old. Okay? Temptation is the itch that God allows in our life so that we can choose to be who we are, a new creation in Christ. What's it doing? It's just a simply reminder, oh, there's parts of my life that are still coming under God. And it helps us shed off those old ways of living so that the new can come out. I want you to get this. Temptation starts long before sin starts. Okay? Remember um, Lot? He was the nephew of Abraham, and uh, he ended up living in the wicked city of Sodom. Do you remember how that whole thing started? It said he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Before he ever lived there, he pitched his tent. So he's waking up every morning. He's like, you know, that doesn't look like such a bad place to live. Yeah, I know bad stuff's going on down there. I know that stuff doesn't please God, but, um, you know, it doesn't look that bad to me. That's where sin starts. Okay? He started moving closer and closer to Sodom until he eventually lived there. That's how it always starts. Don't wait until temptation is at full strength, but at the first thought, that first suggestive whisper, be present to the Spirit of God who's within you. Realize that Jesus is in you, you're hidden with God in Christ, and I don't have to deal with this temptation or this situation apart from God. Remember, any situation that comes to you comes to the Christ in you. Okay? Never look at yourself apart from Christ because God never does in these situations. So trying to fight temptation is the worst thing you can do. Oh, boy. This is going to be different. This is going to be so good. Some of you are shocked right now. Some of you are tempted to call me a heretic right now. Uh, you're not in sin yet just having those thoughts, but if you keep festering them, <laughs> you're in sin. Jim, doesn't the Bible say we're to resist the devil and he will flee? That's not really the whole picture. You ready? Here, here's the whole picture. That's one verse. Let's look at the verse before and the verse after. You guys ready? James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble, or gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Resisting the devil is in the context of helpless dependence and moving in the strength of God. It's not like, in your own willpower, resist the devil, and then he flees from you. No, no, no. You're resisting him in the strength of your humility that you're receiving grace 
and God coming near to you. A lot of people just think that it's just my own willpower. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Resisting the devil is in the context of helpless dependence and moving in the strength of God. So our flesh's first reaction to temptation is to start reacting as if Christ did not live inside of us. I will not do that. I must not do that. I will, I, I'm going to please God. I, I, I. Right? Even if you succeed in avoiding the temptation, you failed the test. All you would have done is revealed that you have strong willpower, not that Christ lives in you. This is the testing of our faith, not the testing of your flesh. The testing of your faith is to reveal the life of Christ in you. Guys, have you noticed that if, you, if they look at like studies of um, sinful behaviors of non-Christians and Christians, the lists look identical. It's like same numbers of depression, same numbers of marriage problems, same numbers of pornography, same percentage of hooked on this, this and that. Why? Because people are not living out of Christ's resources. They're living like old covenant believers trying to do it in their willpower, trying to do it in 12 steps or 30 steps or how many ever steps. I'm not against the steps if they help you, but Jesus had a really cool thing. He had the one-step program. Darkness to life. Now learn how to live out of that new life. Again, I'm not putting down any of that stuff. It's helpful. It's just not the whole picture. We must not learn to... Oh, okay, this is good. Oh, this is good. I have this one yellow highlighted. We must not, uh, we must not learn to just say no to temptation. It must be in the power and the enormous yes to Jesus. We must not learn to just say no to temptation. It must be in the power of an enormous yes to Jesus, who is our life. What happens? Every test is an opportunity for Christ to show himself strong in our life. Listen, there's no way for, um, to see the power of God uh, shining through your life unless you're put in the exact opposite circumstance of that where you need the power of God to show in your life. How do you think the fruit of the Spirit developed? Like love. Is it developing like everyone's loving you, you're amazing, they're prophesying awesome things around you, you're incredible. That's not when love is, is developed in your life. It's when you're around people who have OPD, obnoxious personality disorder. <laughs> right? Like you, when everyone's loving you, you don't need the Holy Spirit to, to have love. But when someone is not loving you, you need to say, you know what? I need to say not just a no to how my, what my flesh wants to do. I need to say yes to Jesus, who is perfect love, and it's going to actually help enable me to do the impossible and love the unlovely. You discover the peace of God that passes human understanding. We're in a situation that would be a state of nail-biting anxiety. The joy of the Lord is the best experience in circumstances that would naturally plunge us into despair. Are you guys seeing this? That exact opposite circumstance, we make ourselves present to Christ, and now the joy of the Lord begins to actually be our strength. Paul had to learn that lesson in the power of God. He said, it's best seen in our weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. He says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That sounds like one of those like, paradoxes. When I'm standing, that's when I'm sitting. No, 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 somebody's recognizing. That's what he's saying. He's actually, when I recognize my weakness, that's when I'm strong. And the next verse says, and, um, his, strength is made, uh, his grace is perfect for me. His strength is made perfect in weakness. I want you guys to get this. When it comes to temptation, weak is the new strong recognizing, God, I can't handle this on my own, and thank God I don't have to. I make myself present to him. I begin to, to uh, helplessly depend, God, you've got exactly what I need in this situation. If you don't have the verse, the words for it, Lord, I make myself present to you. And that's when he gives you grace, which is the ability to do things in the impossible that you can't do in your own strength. 
Never say no to temptation. Say yes to Jesus. When you say no, you're drawing on your willpower, concentrating all your effort and all your flesh to uh, fight that temptation. You're mustering up all of your human ability to do something to please God. But guys, that's not the way the Christian life is lived. When temptation knocks at your door, do not try to answer it and tell it to go away. Send Jesus to answer the door. I'm telling you guys something here. Let's say you're wrestling with an addiction to drugs. And you're at a friend's house and suddenly there's drugs right under your nose. You're not going to try and muster up a no. Instead, you're going to muster up a yes to Jesus. There's a voice inside of you. The Spirit's going to say, that desire for drugs, that's not real for you. That person, who want, that person who wants that died with Christ, and now you've risen with Christ, and he is now your life. And if you're trying to deal with this as if Christ is inside of you, you, you listen, Jesus does not want you to get high. Lord Jesus, I don't want to just uh, not get high. I want to please you. Like, what do you see what I'm doing? I'm not fighting this thing on my own. I'm saying, God, I'm letting you be you through me. I thank you that my desires have been changed, whether it's pornography or gossip. You feel like, I really want to share this thing about somebody. I really want to gossip about them. Um, Jesus, I just thank you that you are my righteousness. You can control my tongue. I'm making myself present to him. It's grace rather than willpower. When you realize you're weak, and God, I want your victory to live through me, you realize that you're just a branch in the vine, and his life can flow through you. You realize that that snakeskin will shed, and that mousetrap will become a bench press. I remember when I was little, I was in the Cub Scouts, and uh, we had this guy named Matt Boehner. He was a character. And uh, Matt Boehner, and we were uh, learning how to shoot BB guns. And so, <laughs> and so they had this tar- target, I don't know, maybe like, you know, five, ten yards in front of us. Uh, they had like this, this big target, and uh, we're all taking turns shooting. But when it got turn- time for Matt's turn, about five feet to the um, left of the target, uh, a cat came up on the fence. <laughs> so Matt's lining up his sights. He starts, looking at the, uh, he starts looking at the cat, and the, uh, the commander, or whatever the, the leader's name was, Matt, don't look at the cat. Matt, do not look at the cat. Do not look at the cat. Ping, he shot at the cat, jumps up, ran away. Listen, guys, that is the main strategy for dealing with temptation in the Old Testament is don't. Don't do it. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. And that's how most believers are still trying to deal with temptation today is through the old covenant of just don't do it. Do not do it. Uh, we see verses like this in Job 31.1. I made a covenant with my eyes to not look lustfully at a young woman. Okay, so let's just, let's, let's just look at an example of lust, how to overcome lust today. Um, most people are trying to fight temptation the same way old covenant Job is. Just don't look. Listen, don't is never going to be a successful strategy. Will someone hear this revelation? Don't do it. I'm going to try not to do it. I'm not going to look. I'm going to, I'm going to use my neck. Like, 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 remember remember they had the, the Pharisees, they had this group called the Bleeding Pharisees in the, in the Old Testament. And their idea was if they never looked at a woman lustfully, then they could, or if they never saw a woman, then they could never commit adultery with a woman. So they would walk out, they would see a woman, they walk with their eyes closed, and they were banging into things. And they had scabs on, this is the truth, this is a true story. They had scabs in their forehead. Guys, that is not a way to avoid it. You can still commit adultery in your heart, even if you're not looking and running into things. Okay, let me use an illustration for you. Imagine someone created a law stating it's a sin to think of oranges. Okay, let's try this now. The obvious point is do not think of oranges, right? Because if you don't think of oranges, 
You don't think of oranges, all right? There we go. But instead of helping you avoid sin, what, what happens? The Bible says the law arouses sin on the inside of you. So let's do a little test here. Don't think of oranges. Don't think of the round baseball-sized fruit in your head. Don't picture its size and color. Don't think of peeling it. Don't think about the juice getting all over your hands. Don't think about the citrus smell filling the air. Don't think about the segments of fruit as they break apart in your hands. <laughs> How well did you do at not thinking about oranges? Yeah, not so good. Not so good. One of the most powerful revelations in the New Testament is whatever you think about or focus on, you become. Okay, the Bible tells us over and over again, as a man thinks in his heart, this is going to be good. So is he. Think on these things, the Bible says. We're transformed by renewing our minds. Set your mind on Christ. As we behold Christ, we become transformed like him, okay? So I want you to get this. Let's just redo this exercise with a twist, okay? Don't think of an orange. Instead, think of an elephant. Think of a large gray beast. Picture how tall it is and how long its trunk is. Picture its funny little tail, the four big tree-like legs and the floppy leathery ears. Now, how did you guys do when you were thinking about an elephant? Were you not thinking about an orange? You did pretty good. The word instead. The word instead, okay? Let me paraphrase some scriptures and insert the word instead in there, okay? Uh, I don't, we don't have these in slides, so just listen to them. Matthew 10, 28, don't fear men, instead fear God. Look at the focus. You could try not to fear men, instead you could fear God. Don't use your freedom to wallow in sin. Instead, serve one another in love, Galatians 5.13. I brought Galatians into this passage, into this message. I feel pretty good about that right now. Don't be obscene, foolish, or coarse. Instead, give thanks, Ephesians 5.4. Don't have anything to do with darkness. Instead, expose the darkness, Ephesians 5.11. Don't become enslaved to philosophy. Instead, follow Christ, Galatians, or Colossians 2.8. Don't get caught up in controversies. Instead, focus on God's work, 1 Timothy 1.4. Don't gossip. Instead, train yourself to be godly, 1 Timothy 4.7. Don't be sinful. Instead, be lovers of God, 2 Timothy 3.4. Don't live for earthly desires. Instead, for the will of God, 1 Peter 4.2. Don't be involved in sexual immorality. Instead, clothe yourself with Christ, Romans 13.14. Let me just uh, translate it to my friend uh, Matt with the BB gun. Matt, don't focus on the cat. Instead, focus on the target. Target. Line your sights up with the bullseye. Instead. The main principle of instead is that you change from what you shouldn't focus on onto whom you should be focusing on. The one you should be focusing on. Set your mind on things above. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. These are verses. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So how do I break patterns of sin, okay? How do I, uh, what, what does instead look like in practice? I remember one time I was uh, getting ready to speak in a, in, a, um, in a college situation, and they asked me to demonstrate the power of God there. And uh, all my natural flesh was saying, what if you pray and nothing happens? What if you make Jesus' name look horrible? What if you get up there and make a fool of yourself? Da-da-da-da-da, all these things. And so... Uh, as I'm driving to the university, I was meditating on these thoughts. I was rehearsing them, giving them strength and power, and, uh, you know, and trying, to, trying to not think about those thoughts. And then the instead came on to me. And I began to think about how God said he would never leave me nor forsake me. He gave us authority over every sickness, every disease, and every evil spirit. 
And as I began to focus on these things, my anxiety disappeared and I actually became very bold and God did a whole bunch of wonderful things there, right? Fear left and I became very bold. What happened? Christ became my life. It's not like I suddenly, oh, Jim, you're so bold. Uh, anyone who knows me has never accused me of being very bold. <laughs> but when Christ expresses his life through me, good things happen. Let's, let's, um, so I was doing a coaching call uh, this, this week with a, with a group of people, and uh, the subject of how to, how, to, how to help men overcome lust uh, came up. And so I'm just going to extend this a little bit. So just uh, you, you can apply these same things in other areas. I just feel like our culture is so sexualized. I mean, everything from like selling practically anything on TV involves some type of thing. So let's just apply it. So um, let's just say that a man is struggling with lust, uh, especially in certain locations, maybe when he's alone in a hotel room, a bathroom, whatever it might be, every time you're in one of those locations and it triggers you, instead, focus your heart in prayer for freedom for your sisters in the sex industry. Okay? Be proactive. Don't wait until the attack is at full strength. Use those places as new prayer closets for tearing down the devil's kingdom. So let me give you an example. One author wrote this prayer. You guys ready for this? So let's say you're, you're sitting there, you're triggered, you're, you're wanting to look at something, and you begin to pray this prayer. I declare freedom over every young woman trapped in the bonds of the sex industry. I pray for healing and restoration to your soul, that the shattered pieces of your heart will be put back together. Imagine uh, you know, you're walking down the beach and you're seeing a bunch of women in uh, bathing suits and you're fighting this inward battle to not look. Well, not, not look is a good thing, but we don't want to just go in our own willpower. Okay, we want to do something different. So instead, you recognize you are a powerful, self-controlled man of God. You're like, how can I say it? Because that's your identity. The Holy Spirit lives within you, and self-control is actually one of the fruit of the Spirit. What am I doing? I'm lining my life up with reality. You're lining your life up with reality. I'm a self-controlled man of God. And uh, here's what we get to do. Here's what uh, Paul says. We get to treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. Okay? So you see a beautiful woman in your heart, and you respond, Lord, thank you for creating beauty. I ask that you would show my sister her inherent value and protect her from those who would steal that value from her. Amen. And once you grasp your identity, you're going to be able to relate to others according to their identity in God. So I know who I am. Now I'm going to relate to them based on their identity. Okay, so you see a, a, a woman in a movie or at a mall who's dressed inappropriately. Okay, so what if you just pray this prayer? God, show her that she's beautiful, holy, and worthy of protecting. Show her that you want to pour out your perfect love, protection, and purity on her. Show her that her beauty is meant for her husband. I pray that my children and my children's children will view women in this way. Jesus, I fix my eyes on you. You are my love and my self-control. You are my delight and salvation. You are my strength. Guys, can you feel something holy rising in you as you just begin to hear these kinds of words? What's it doing? It's resonating with your identity of who you are in Christ. This is who God's called you to be. So men, when we see beauty, we must maintain our identity. We are not predators of women's beauty, compelled to steal it for our own purposes. We are protectors of beauty. I'm giving you an identity statement here. When the Bible says to treat younger women as sisters, older women as mothers, that speaks to our identity as men. We are called to be rescuers and protectors of women. We're to treat them with dignity and respect. So um, in high school, uh, I was even less athletic looking than now. I was about 6'2", 145, solid muscle. And so... Um, and so there was uh, there's this, my sister, I, I'm referring to her in the past tense, she passed away. Uh, she was absolutely beautiful. All my friends had crushes on her. And she was two years younger than me. And um, there was a guy at school who was a wrestler, big muscle dude. And um, I don't know if he was teasing her, I don't know what he was doing. 
But uh, she went to sit down, and he pulled the chair out. And so she sat down and cracked her tailbone. And so um, I think I'm like a senior in high school. And, um, she's a sophomore. And this wrestler dude was like really good. And I was not. Okay. I, I, I'm not built for combat unless it's like running, you know. And so. <laughs> but you know what? Something rose up on the inside of me, you know, that I'm a protector of my sister. And so the word gets to me. I find this, I don't know what came over me. It must have been the Spirit of God. And so I don't know what came over me. I find this guy. I grab him by the shirt tails. I've never grabbed anybody by the shirt tails. Grab this guy by the shirt tails. I slam him against the wall, and I'm threatening him within an inch of his life. I'm, I'm out of my mind doing this. He's apologizing profusely. I mean, this guy could have tied me in knots easily. What happened? I'm not, I'm not saying that we do this for every person. What I'm saying is, guys, we have, an, we have part of our identity is to be protectors of our sisters, to protect their dignity, that we would never let someone else use their bodies that way for lust. We're not, certainly not going to. Part of the call in this church is to help end the sex trade industry in our city. And I'll tell you what the first step is. The first step is to get out of bondage to the evil spirits behind that industry. We must not allow our minds to view women the way the devil tells us to. Men, you are protectors and rescuer of women. Let me put it this way. You're either a protector and rescuer or you are a user and abuser. There is no middle ground. I read a stat in a book a little while ago that 82% of Christian men are in bondage to pornography. The strategy of don't isn't working. Uh, the, uh, I was um, talking on that coaching call. This person was starting a coaching program to help men get out of uh, pornography, and the whole strategy was don't. We're going to hold them accountable. We're going to do this and that. And I was probably spent 45 minutes me saying, don't do that. <laughs> That's not going to work. And so basically what I told them is an I in this message. So hey, you're welcome. Here's your new program. And so... Um, Man, this is not a time to wallow in shame and condemnation. You're getting free so that you can be like Christ and bring freedom to those who need it most. Let's look at your finances. Men and women, maybe the trigger is your finances. You get a bill you didn't expect. You're doing bills. Something comes in that's unexpected. Maybe a job gets lost. There's a demotion. Something happens. Instead of worrying and complaining about your job and the economy and inflation, you focus on Christ who is already present to you in this moment. He isn't nervous. There's never a verse in the Bible that says, and Jesus was nervous. There's never a verse that says, and there was an emergency meeting of the Trinity trying to figure out what to do about your situation. <laughs> and Jesus had an ulcer from stressing out over the stupid disciples. <laughs> if you're short on money, money, it's an opportunity to trust him as provider and know this truth that sets you free in reality, not just in theory. Whatever you're facing, know that God loves you and has committed himself to you with a blood covenant. That's going to be our next series, by the way, is the blood covenant. He has spelled out his unbreakable promises in Christ. So here's what's happening, guys, is we're adopting an entirely new lifestyle of drawing from the all-sufficient Christ instead of looking like a pauper uh, with our noses pressed against the window inside the rich man's store. You've got full access to the store. Your dad owns the store. One last thing. Suppose you fall. Suppose you fall flat on your face. You blow it, and you blow it 10 times in 10 minutes, all right? 
Here's what I want you to know. Uh, let's just say you say yes to temptation. Okay, what happens now? Know that God still loves you. Know that God does not stop loving you even for one nanosecond. That even when you leap into sin, nobody falls into sin, they leap. Know that even when you leap into sin, you've been caught by the arms of God who loves you. When you leap into sin, you get caught by the arms of God who loves you. So if you fall into sin, leap into sin, confess your sin. Here's what confess means. It means to say the same thing as. Okay? So it's like, God, this is wrong. This is is sinful. I recognize. Remember last week? It's actually the breaking of a love relationship. God, this is an insult to you. And so, Lord, this is wrong. But, Lord, I just thank you that there's grace. It says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It is scandal. Hold on, Jim. You're saying the more we sin, the more grace we get? Yeah. It's almost like the more you keep running up the credit card, the more dad keeps paying it off? Yeah. And if it's truly happening, that grace is going to teach you to say no to sin, not go, oh, sweet, I can do more and more. It's his job to forgive me. No, 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 no. That's, that's not grace. That's grease. It's slippery, dirty, and it'll leave a stain. But guys, if you keep sinning, he keeps giving grace. And as you receive it, it'll change you. When you confess your sin, the Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all, all, all sin. You get to experience the hug of dad. So when you sin, I say the same thing about sin that God says. Yes, it's sin, but the blood of Jesus cleanses me. And I receive that free gift of righteousness. I see how good he is, and I don't want to do it anymore. Even when you fall flat on your face in the mud, and you're blowing bubbles in the mud, you can still say he loves me. That's your foundation. That's how you can continue on. That's the first rung on the ladder out of this mess is God loves me. What happens if you keep falling in one area? Well, then maybe seek out another Christian brother or sister, um, especially if it's like an area of sexual sin. Brothers find brothers. Sisters find sisters. Okay? The Bible says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. I'm going to add this this caveat. Make sure they're not the town gossip. who's going to share about your need under the guise of prayer requests to another person. I remember uh, when Mary and I were, uh, we just saw this beautifully, beautifully illustrated uh, when Mary and I were pastoring a, a young couple, a young adults group 20 years ago in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And there was a girl, and uh, she was, had just come back to the Lord, and she had uh, gone out partying one night, got drunk, slept with her old boyfriend, and was just feeling horrible. And so she was in a girls' group, and she comes, and she confesses it to the girls' group, and they did such a good group, such a good job. They hugged her. They cried with her. They, were, they let her know, this is wrong. Like, like, like this, this isn't just like a grace pass. This is wrong. She confessed her sins, but then they loved her and just let her know, like, God is not mad at you. It was just this beautiful mixture of love and grace, like truth and grace. And you know what? She never stumbled again in that area. Like, it had been a pattern for her of doing this. And just that one encounter with grace and, and her, her seeing what was available to her, it completely changed her life. There's times when you need to talk to someone who is Jesus with skin on and hear them say, the God who loves you with an everlasting love, who sent his son to pay for this, I declare to you, your sins are forgiven. There's a really strange passage in John 20 where Jesus is commissioning the apostles, commissioning all the the followers of him. It says, if you forgive people's sins, then I forgive them. And, um, you know, in the Catholic Church, they have a thing where they come and confess your sins to a priest, and that may seem really foreign to uh, to our movement, but there is something powerful about somebody standing, representing God, 
and saying, the Lord Jesus forgives you. Some of you may need to do that this week to somebody. Or somebody is just, man, they've fallen on their face. They've blown it. And you listen. And you're seeing they're repentant. They don't want to do this anymore. They need to hear the words from you. The Lord Jesus forgives you. He's made you clean. Here's your homework. You guys ready for your homework? Before we meet again, did someone say no? <laughs> Whether you choose this homework assignment or not, it's going to come. Okay? You will be tempted this week. Okay? So I'm just giving you the, 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 the tools to apply it. All of God's tests are pop quizzes. Okay? There will be a pop quiz this week. I'm just trying to get you ready for it. So before we meet again, assuming you come next week, everybody in this building is going to have a chance to put into practice what I've taught this week. You have a chance to put into practice. Some of you, before you get out of the parking lot, you're going to have a chance. Like, oh, no, it's closed. I was going to go there. <laughs> you don't have to fall into temptation. Temptation is the grand adventure where I grow in Christ and become strong in God. Temptation is the gymnasium in which I acquire spiritual strength. So your homework is knocking at your door. It's waiting at the door. When temptation, temptation comes, be present to Christ, who is your life. Recognize your weakness and that his strength is uh, perfect in that situation. So focus on Christ instead. If you remember nothing else, that temptation comes. I'm not going to answer that door. I'm not going to do it in my own strength. I'm focusing on Christ, who is my life instead. And his life flows through me, and I become stronger. Let's stand for closing prayer.